I always thought a mechanical bond is when you fall in love with your mechanic. Welcome to the Beat Around the Bench podcast. Podcast about woodworking, good times, and general jackassery. With your hosts, Jess of Jess Build It, Colton of Colt Crit, Ross of RNC Woodworking and Design. You can find us all on Instagram, YouTube, and TikTok. Now for episode 24, Lethal Weapon. Lethal Weapon, huh? Oh the, yeah, baby. First Classic. one. Yeah. I love it. Proud of you. With rigs. So what do you think? Is it is it a Chris, Christmas movie? Well, th- no, that's Die Hard. That's a Christmas movie. Oh, that's movie. Die Hard. That's right. <laughs> yeah. Whatever. My, it's all the same guy. The thing that actually throws me for a loop is is constantly in the Lethal Weapon series, but mostly in Lethal Weapon 1, you hear Danny Glover going just, I'm getting too old for this, you know. And uh, turns out he was 41 years old in that movie, uh, which I'm I'm a year shy of that. But I, I feel like, you know, life was a little tougher in the 80s. I don't know. Yeah. Uh, I feel that um, I like the simplicity of the movies without all the um, CGI and stuff like that. You know, yeah. the stunts were bigger and better and they, you know, it's cheaper to do it CGI now. So that's how they do most of it. Yeah. So I loved all the, all the older movies. Although the mullets were strong back in the day. <laughs> yes. Yes. Yeah. Yes, they were Mel Gibson had a strong mullet. Indeed. Indeed. That's where Colton got his, uh, you know, uh, his nod to what he, you know, would grow currently. It Absolutely. started at a young age. Yeah. I, I'm just a few decades behind on, on the haircut. Yeah. But, but in Texas, that just, you know, <laughs> batting average. Nope. It, it's coming back, man. Um, when you, when you well, go even to the- in, go in Oklahoma, like, you know, we uh, were in Oklahoma this last weekend, you know, for my, uh, my grandpa's. Well, I guess his 80th birthday. We, um, I was at the airport and airport and I saw some guys, they, they look like they're from the oil patch and they all either had mullets or strong mustaches. And I was like, yep, I get it. Yeah. <laughs> I, 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 gave him a, I gave him a quick nod as we left this little hamburger <laughs> joint at the airport. You know. So have you ever like when you walked around, like let's say uh, the grocery store, like Walmart or, or just someplace that there's like a lot of people that everybody goes like, what is the ratio of, in Houston, of, like, mustache to no mustache, mullet to no mullet, cowboy hat uh, to no cowboy hat? Well, we're we're pretty close in the city, right? And so, um, trying to say this without, uh, you know, being too rude to city boys, but, like, you know, a lot of your more clean-cut guys uh, working in a tall office building, you know, they're not going to have the... Uh, any facial hair, you know, it's going to be high and tight. Um, maybe not high and tight, maybe higher than pompadour, right? But yeah, it, it's not as much as you think. But anytime someone's like starting to grow the mustache, and I get to talk to them, you know, I'll, I'll always encourage them as much as I can. Be like, brother, it it doesn't matter if it if it doesn't look like your favorite movie star or whoever, whatever mustache, your mustache is your mustache, you know. And this is like, maybe, maybe you're a chin strap guy, right? Maybe you grow a good chin strap. Maybe you grow a good goatee. Maybe you grow a good full duck hunter beard, right? But I'm always pro pro facial hair. It it adds a lot more to your uh, originality in my in my. My dad, my dad had his mustache like yours, like his whole life. He he looked a lot like Tom Selleck, especially when he was his in younger Magnum PI days. 
And he always had that Tom Selleck mustache. And he shaved it off now, and it's ugh, yeah, I don't, I don't like it. Uh-huh. Yeah, old old Burl had his mustache going for majority of my life, and then uh, what? Maybe five years ago, he shaved it, and uh, mostly because it was getting real dark and gray and wiry. You know, it, you could rub rust off of steel with this thing, <laughs> and <laughs> it was it was getting real bad, and you know, it was irritating my mom and stuff, and. um so he finally shaved it, but then everyone was like, "Oh, you look like you lost weight. Oh, you look like you're doing." Oh. And um, I was telling him, I was like, "Bro, yeah, of course it looks like you lost weight. It's because you look like a little uh, b-word, <laughs> little boy, <laughs> um, baby." N- yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, we'll go with that. <laughs> little, little female dog. There and you go. Um, yeah, and yeah, it does. You do look smaller. Yeah, so. But he lost his street cred. It, it, not all of it in my heart, but a touch of it. Okay. I every time I see him, I encourage him to grow it back. So it's good of you. Yeah. My dad had the uh, the handlebar mustache um, oh. up until my brother was about. Ooh, my older brother. He was maybe four or five months old, and all of a sudden he saw said handlebar mustache and grabbed onto both sides and yanked. And no, my dad literally shaved it that day. Oh, so, no, oh my God. yeah, oh yep. boy. Oh, dude, I was rocking a handlebar. I've tried it twice in my life, and I think I gave it a full six months each time. It takes some like, dedication. That's the problem. Mm-hmm. Well, I didn't grow anything until I was probably thirty-two something. I was always clean shaven, and then I was like, you know, I want a beard, so I grew it and it's changed I maybe your life. Sh- I shaved it a couple times. Uh, my wife at that time did not like it. And uh, uh, Ashley, now she she, uh, she would kill me if I shaved my beard, like mm-hmm. like bare skin. Like it's short now. She likes it short. I grew it out long for a while. I think when you guys, when you guys met me at uh, Workbench Con, I had just shaved it because well, it I, had, was I had like it down to like here. It, it was, was going just, down though, right? Like it was, it, it, you still it had was, some more on the chin, right? I, yeah, kinda, I had, I did. It was just, you know, it was a lot of work. And then I'd be in the shop and I'd go to like looking and I'd, when I leave in the morning, you know, I'd brush it in the oil and all that crap you put in it. And I would come and, and they would be like, Meh. I'd look like a homeless person. And I was like, <laughs> I can, I look like I should have a corn cob pipe. And I just, I looked wild. So. I just don't have that kind of beard that is will behave. I just don't. Yeah. So strangely enough, uh, a company I worked for prior to the one I work for now used to have this big push behind the Movember uh, grow out your mustache campaign. And it was to support men's prostate health and everything. So um, I always joined along and my wife hated it because number one, I would shave my whole beard. Uh, clean shaven and then grow out just the mustache. But I finally had to stop doing it at one point because when I grow just my mustache for the first two weeks, I look like I'm going to be smuggling drugs into the country. (laughs) And then after that, I look like I should be bringing you pizza. Like it's a me Mario kind of thing. (laughs) And you have a very strong mustache. I do. That's you got a solid almost inch there at the top. Huh? Oh, for sure. Yeah. And so that was the fun part. Uh, I was actually, uh, I was in Atlantic City, New Jersey, and it was towards the end of November. So the mustache is in thick at that point. 
and everything else is is clean shaven. And I walk into the lobby of this hotel, and it was one of those hotels that had like a super long lobby. Uh, so I had a long way to get up to the front desk. And the lady behind the front desk, as I'm getting closer, is like squinting and staring at me, like trying to figure stuff out. And as soon as I get there, she's like, oh, my God, it's real. I'm sorry. I thought you were wearing a disguise. And I was like, oh, man, <laughs> uh, I got to shave this thing now. I can't oh. have people thinking I'm wearing a disguise around. No, man, I, that's a compliment. That means you grow a dang strong mustache. Yeah, I just I, I look know. goddamn ridiculous. That was the problem. Well, you, you, you do the beard well. I'll say Thank that. You. Yeah, the I'll say that. You, you do a good tie-in combo. I think, yeah. is there pictures of you on like Facebook or something without the beard? Yes. Yeah, I didn't. I think Ashley like stalked and showed me. She's like, look at him without a beard. And I was like, I don't like it. I don't like it. <laughs> <laughs> I don't like it. Oh, I don't know. Yeah. I think most most guys look good, better with a beard as long as it grows, you know, like how Evenly. some people are real spotty. Like yeah. real spotty and then they just have like the little spots up on their cheek i don't i don't like that no. See, i don't grow it i don't grow it under my bottom lip i just have the little soul patch yeah and then i don't yeah. i don't get anything there some people like get it's just all beautiful beautiful yep. so yeah i mean to each their own man everyone grows their own thing man True if story. i grew a good beard on my cheeks i'd have a full duck hunter beard right now mm-hmm. which i'm kind of thankful i don't because i feel like just the mustache with a little scruff is a little edgier right and yeah that's kind of it looks my, good what's your wife MO. say oh she loves it oh she actually fell in love with me when i was wearing jorts so like short short like jeans i cut <laughs> off and a solid mustache like clean shaven on the sides and a hawaiian shirt i was going as magnum pi well for a halloween right. party Beautiful. And um, I, I talked about uh, Bring Me the Horizon, you know, like a metal core band. Yeah. And um, she's like, oh, I like them. And yeah, they, we fell in love after that. So it's history from there. Very, yeah. very nice. Yeah. yeah. I will say one thing, one last thing about a millennial rocking a handlebar mustache, like having some curl uh, up on the sides. Yeah. It's either a complete win or a complete loss for everybody. Right. Yes. There's no in between. Like mothers either grab their children tighter when you walk by them or they're, they're all about it. And, um, here's a problem too. Uh, some crazy ladies, uh, are also about it too. And I learned that yes. the hard way. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. And that, yep. That's my what do you mean? Thing. Wait, don't, don't stop on that. What do you mean? Crazy ladies are about you just yada yada over the best part. You just yada uh, yada over the best part. Talking about crazy ex-girlfriends. We'll leave it there. <laughs> oh, okay. Ex-girlfriends. I gotcha. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. Interesting. Mm-hmm. All right. Yeah. Hey, so I got some questions for y'all. All right. Uh, let's do it. Let's dying. do the questionnaire. They've been on my list to ask you guys every week, and we always fill up our time and never get that. So first off, Jess, one time you mentioned sanding direction. Um, yes. Like, you know, like you'll – Correct me if I'm wrong. You'll start off going with the grain or no, you start off going against the grain and then you end going with the grain. So with a random orbit sander, effectively, it shouldn't matter too that's much. What, that's it's, what I was thinking. And that's yeah, why I was asking this. Yeah. It, it, but I will preface that by saying, I don't know what sander you have or what pad you have. Right. So different sanders, you can get different softnesses and hardnesses of pads for the Velcro part that goes on there. And 
I found out we were doing uh, some stuff in Walnut and they had a, a pad on it and it was a little bit softer. And when he finished, he finished against the grain. So like I, I, it was, it was the, uh, this it was, is with, with, with like a five inch orbital or six. Inch? Yeah. It's a five inch random orbit DeWalt, one of their, their better ones. And, uh, it was national cheese and he, he was, I told him to go with it and then go against it. And I could see where he went against it and I watched him do it. He did it perfectly. Perfect symmetry. You know, I just wanted to keep a pattern so he didn't miss anything. And so I have found that if you, you know, cause you're moving left and right, right. You're, if you go with the grain, um, cause don't forget it is, if you ever look at the curly Q, it is like going clockwise and like to the right, you know, a little bit. Yeah, so if you go with the grain and to the left. <laughs> and so if you go with it, it seems to not ever leave any, any marks in it. I tell you one thing I never got good at sanding with is a belt sander like a hand belt sander and try not to leave marks on anything. Well, I that's mean, just to remove material. Yeah, you can well, do a finish some sand people, after that. some people finish sand with them. Surprisingly. Really? It's not a good, it's very no, it's hard. Not, that's a horrible idea. There is no way to control that evenly. Even mm-hmm. if you get up to like 300 grit, that thing is moving so fast with so much pressure that mm-hmm. you're just taking off way too much. You're so yeah. much better off hand sanding or, at yeah. least like random orbital sanding at that point. If yeah. you're trying to finish sand, I've seen people try and do it with like pneumatic sanders as well. Right. That's also a horrible idea. Yeah. I, I yeah. don't, I've never been good at it. It always digs, digs in somewhere where mm-hmm. you get, you know, you got it. You got to go left and right. You can't stop moving. You got to go with the grain. And if you just go a little bit of an angle, it starts making scratches at an angle. So mm-hmm. I've never, I've never been very good at it. I just used it to like remove material and stuff. Yeah. 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 When it, when it, whenever I have something that's uh, not getting out of the way and really needs to get out of the way, I'll pull the belt sander out. Yeah. So Ross, do you, do you have a direction that you go like uh, with the orbital sander or do Uh, you just. So in all honesty, not as much. Like I, I definitely try and go roughly with the grain rather than against the grain, unless I'm trying to go up through layers. So if I'm trying to, start at like 80 grit or even a hundred grit and I'm trying to get everything level and, and, and clean things up. Um, as well as after water popping it, I go again, like side to side against the grain, like cross grain. But by the time I'm getting to my finished sanding, like minimum 220, sometimes I was telling Jess this and he thought I was an idiot, but sometimes I go as high as a thousand grit, depending on what I'm doing. And uh, for those, I definitely. I didn't say you were an idiot. You did. <laughs> no, but I'll. We'll talk about that in a second. Go ahead. Okay, uh, but either way, uh, I always go with the grain direction at that point. So nice. Now, so, a card scraper. On a separate note, you don't need to worry about the grain nearly as much as you do for a sander. Yeah, you can really. Go with the you, you can go cross grain with the card scraper, and it, it yeah. it's not going to pull off differently. No, it's it for some reason card scrapers work so much cleaner. Uh, they're they're so much cleaner than just it's because it's shearing off those fibers instead of pressing them like, down. Yeah, uh, yeah. I still I still have not got my card scraper sharpened, 
And it's, um, once again, I need to do that. It's yeah. super so, easy. You'll be sad. Got, you'll, you'll be mad at yourself that you didn't do it because it's really easy. Mm-hmm. It's really easy. I, I, I am going to be mad. I already am. <laughs> um, so I, I have three more questions on our okay. favorite topic of sanding. All okay. right. So number two. So most orbital sanders, a lot of them at least, have a speed setting, right? Yeah. And um, like one through six or whatever else. Like most of the ones I've had have been one through six, right? Um. Are you running it at six all the time, even on like your initial, like your, your heavier grits and your finishing grits, or do you, uh, turn it down some? I, I I have go, you go ahead, Ross. What do you think? I start heavy and back it down to about four by the time I'm getting up to my higher grits. And so on your, um, what's yours with the M word? The Um, Merca. Merca. That one is one through six as well. No, that one is just a push button plus and minus, but I'll back it down uh, about two notches as I'm getting higher in grit, mostly just because I want to go a little bit slower and make sure that I'm getting every every detail and every last inch. Okay, so you slow it down towards the end. Yes. All right. Interesting. So I usually have it at full speed unless um, – it unless like let's say it has a couple coats of clear coat and I don't want to burn through them really fast. So then I'll turn or I'm sanding, I'm just scuffing like paint on a cabinet to paint again, right? I don't want to burn through it, so then I'll turn it way down to like two if I've got two twenty mm-hmm. grit on it. Um it, you know, if it's something delicate or whatever. But with those sanders, I mean, they're they're kind of junky, so if I don't keep it up on full speed, it doesn't really do anything. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So with that Festool Rotex on this uh, birch plywood that yes. I'm saying, like uh, I'm starting to realize that it's not a good finish sander, at least for this birch plywood, right? And um, like it, it's quick to leave swirl marks, right? And which I had heard before because it's a very heavy sander. Like it looks like an angle grinder. Right? Yes. It does. Like, I mean, it's at least a foot long and it's heavy. And that's what she said. But so I used to. And, and that's not, <laughs> and it's not in Rotex mode, correct? Correct. Oh, well, I was trying to finish sand. Like, you know, I would like out of principle, turn it into the finish sand mode, you know, where it has like the true random orbit where y'all are getting the circles like you're talking about. Right. Mm-hmm. Like we were talking about a second ago. Pigtails, and, yeah. Um, yeah. But I think some like with the birch plywood, like with it being plywood and being so thin at the end um, of me sanding this veneer that I've already burned at least halfway through. Um, Do you water on, pop? On, no, no, not with the plywood. No. Um, but on, on the last few I've done, um, I've just left it on the uh, the Rotex mode and on full full speed six and just let it kind of glide across and like you know i can tell if i put any pressure if it has any skip that's Mm going to leave like some longer vertical marks or horizontal marks but uh if i just let it glide then it's more of a consistent sand because i'm putting a layer of uh polyurethane on top of this right and so it doesn't need to be the perfect finish by the time it's done but if there is any like like the little circle marks or any scratch marks the stain is going to show it 
And so I've had best results using um, still like the, the hard Rotex, like the circular complete, like a true circle motion on it um, with the Rotex. But, so you have the dust collection on full blast? Yes. Yeah. And I've experimented with that, uh, putting it on my dust collector versus the shop vac, which the what? shop vac technically has a little bit higher CFM. Yeah. But um, I, I've experimented with that as well. What grit are you using for finish sanding? Uh, usually on these boards doing 120 for the finish. Really? Yeah. Um, so just you know, anything separate. past that, I think it's wasted with the polyurethane being on top. No, no. you're going to get swirl marks after you're going to get swirl marks at 150. You're going to get swirl marks at 180, 220. You're starting to lose them. So 220 is usually where I finish sanding. Um, 120 is pretty aggressive. Yeah, honestly, I usually start at either eighty or a hundred or one twenty, depending on what I'm doing. But like, I always go up to at least three hundred on mine. Yeah, yeah. Well, anything hardwood, I'll, I'll stop at two twenty. But I'm finding that with these, uh, with the plywood, the I know it sounds dumb, what, what, but when you stop at Home Depot or whatever next time, or next time you order some sanding pads. Order a variety pack that goes up to, you know, 220, 300, something like that. And just try out a set. Because you're going to notice once you do it with that, number one, to Jess's point, there are zero swirl marks. And number two, it makes the sanding of the polyurethane so much easier because there's nothing underneath. It is right. It's like glass. Right. Yeah, I mean, you're 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 playing this game when you're sanding, and this is what me and Ross were just bickering about. So you're playing this game with sanding. You're playing this game versus saving time, right? But the product's not necessarily going to be as smooth. I mean, it just isn't, right? If so, if Ross is going to sand, if we took the same piece, right, and Ross sanded it with a hundred, and then one fifty, and then two twenty, and then three hundred. And or 320 or whatever he wound up with, right? And I sand mine to 220 and I did the same thing. His is going to be smoother. It just is. And it's going to... Now, to your point, Colton, though, um, your polyurethane is, especially if it's a thick polyurethane, you're getting a great mechanical bond by doing it with 120, right? So you're leaving the surface a lot rougher but you're most assuredly probably going to have some swirl marks in it a little bit because really all you're doing when you're sanding is just trying to get out and make lighter and lighter scratches as you go microscopically or visually. Right. So, um, I, and with some finishes like Rubio, they require you or ask for you not to close the pores and not to do certain things because they want it a little rougher. I think Rubio says like 150, which is way too light. I tried it and it just left it a little bit too rough for me. That was that stuff you were rubbing your hand on. So since then, we started doing 220, which I saw a lot of other people online do. Mm-hmm. And it works just fine. It works just fine. It soaks right in and it works just fine. And it was a lot smoother. It almost kind of made a satin finish because I did it with 220. Um, uh, uh, you know, we went from the drum sander went from 150, and then the guy sanded everything with 180, and then 220, I think. And it looked anything that got belt sanded at least, uh, it looked pretty good, much better than the first bit. And um, but 120 leaves 
leaves swirl marks. So you're playing this game of like, okay, I have 12 tables to do. That's my game that I play. I have 12 tables to do. What can we sacrifice here? Can we sacrifice time or can we sacrifice? And I'm not, I hate to say sacrifice quality because it's still good quality when it's 220, right? But I don't have the time to sand every single, because you don't want to just do the top with that. You have to do the whole thing with that. So that means I have to send all the legs and all that stuff with what, three or four grits. Cause you can't just jump. So they would just take too long. So, you know, we just kind of stop at two twenty. Um, I do agree with Ross though. Cause he felt some of the walnut ones and he's like, what are you saying these with? And I, and I told him, cause I think we stopped with one fifty, And then I think some of them we did with one eighty cause I didn't like it. Yeah. And I was just worried about something happening. Right. Because yeah. I hadn't used Rubio on walnut before. And so I'm like, is this stuff going to peel off? Like what's going to happen? But <clears throat> I did a little research and it's fine. You could yeah. probably do 300. And mm-hmm. the last thing I'll say is this guy was on one of my Facebook groups and he had done a live edge table. And it was, I don't even know what it was, oak or maple or something. And he poured, he didn't put anything on it. He wiped it all down. He got it all clean and he poured his epoxy on it and it beat it up. Hmm. And I said, he said, what happened? Is there some sap? And all these other people are asking him all these weird questions. The epoxy beat it up? Yeah. And so I messaged him and I said, by chance, what did you sand that to? And he said, 3,000 grit. And I said, bro, I'm, I was like, you made it so the epoxy couldn't absorb or grab anything. So it just sat on there and then it like shrank and, you know, he closed it too much. Yeah. So, so you know, you don't want to. You don't want to, you want most finishes aside from Rubio, but even Rubio, most finishes are doing what's called a mechanical bond. And for our listeners, if they don't know what that means, a mechanical bond is like if you have something really shiny and you paint it and you know you can just like peel the paint off later, that paint just sat there. A mechanical bond is something where it's getting in all the little pores and crevices and and everything and it's like it has holding some teeth on the grip into right it's yeah. it's right it's it's like velcro right i always and thought so a mechanical told- bond is when you fall in love with your mechanic <laughs> <laughs> uh when you got a tractor and he's fixing your diesel and you're like man he sure have got a part of mouth but uh <laughs> that that is that is the you difference don't know, nice and deep so down in there. Yeah. and that's the same thing with polyurethane too right colton because yep. you can't Polyurethane doesn't stick to polyurethane. Polyurethane, no. polyurethane mechanically bonds to the layer before it. And so if it's not, if it's completely slick and smooth and you put another layer of polyurethane, chances are it will delaminate. So you have to scuff it, right? To put that scratches back in it so that it attaches to it. Wood fortunately mm-hmm. is porous. So usually when you put a finish on it, it's just going to, it's effectively soaking in, which is good, right? Even at 300 yep. or 400 grit. So there's a little bit difference there, but anyway, that's my spiel about sanding. All it's right. a good spiel. A good spiel. Yeah. What's so, the next uh, question, Colton? So uh, as far as, okay, I guess I'll do this one first. So as far as grit changes, right? Like say you got a rough piece of wood and start at maybe 80 grit. Mm-hmm. Um, so I guess for me, I'd go 80, 120, Maybe 150. If I'm in a hurry, I'll go to 180 and then 220 and then 300 if we have to after that. Is that the same for y'all? Like yeah. if you're start if you're starting rough, maybe at 60 or 80, 
80 is the lowest I go typically. Because most of the time, if I'm doing something, I put it through the planer beforehand. It's rare for me to have something that's coming out that that isn't already pretty either planed down by hand or by machine or at least jointed to where it has a pretty decent edge. Right. Do you hit Do you hit the 150 between 120 and 180? Um. No. I I skip 150 just because, in all honesty, I have boatloads of 120. I have 80, 120. 180, 220, 300, 600, 800, 1,000. Nice. The only reason I started hitting 150 here when I have the time for it is uh, that uh, Serious Grit paper I've been yeah. using. Um, their multi-pack comes with a 150. And um, ever since I got that pack, yeah, uh, I've only started doing that. But, yeah, you normally don't see 150 in my opinion. Yeah. I but use... I use 150. I used to use 150 a lot. I mean, that's what's like in my belt sander. It goes from, I think, 100 to 150. That's what runs to it, which I'm about yeah. to change that to, from 80 to 120, so it's a little more aggressive. But uh, it, it just all depends. Softwoods, um, I, I mean, it just depends. If it's a hardwood, which is what I've been working with lately, it'll usually go, if I have some imperfections I want to get out, I'll have 100. And then if it's basically okay, but maybe it's got some uh, scratches from the drum sander or something, it'll be like 120. And then uh, sometimes I'll even skip to 220 from there, which is like a no-no. But it just all depends how it's turning out. You're only supposed to go, what, 50 grits at a time? 50, 60 grits at a time? I think that's like the, something like that, the rule yeah. of I thumb. Know. I feel like it's more proportional, though. Like I mean, because once you get up to the thousands... You're well, yeah, then it's by thousands, right? Like, yeah, but in when the you're lower smaller, because like eighty to one twenty is common grit change, and that's forty. Yeah, but yeah, yeah, and, and then the lower, sixty the lower to eighty one. is twenty. Yeah, but but whatever the case, yeah, I mean, one fifty is is gets it smooth, but it's not really quite ready for finish yet. It just isn't. No. Even no, if you're even not. if you even if you're going to paint it, it just stays a little fu- little too fuzzy. Mm-hmm. 220s where it's at 180s okay 220s kind of where it's at yeah nobody has 200 though so yeah i know it must have, must have do with the aluminum oxide particles that they use to make it i thought about that the other day so my question to you ross bringing this up you know i would sand some things with 300 mm-hmm. or, well it's actually 320 is usually what i find what my biggest problem is um the paper gets clogged because it's so fine. And I, you got that super vacuum. That's why mm-hmm. yeah, mine that's is actually, why. it's a mesh. I have the mesh, uh, sanding pads. Uh, that's well, how I can go as fine as I do because it's pulling all the dust right. as soon as it's going on. Right, 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 right. Yeah. The paper just like within just a minute, especially cause I used to sand epoxy. I'd like to sand that to like 300 before yeah. I clear it. And yeah. it would, it just clog up. It would just be like it would just be like you know buffing it at that point because it wasn't doing anything. The mesh, yeah. how, what mesh, what company? So Merca has their own, but recently I've been using the 3M version, um, oh. and I don't remember the series. It starts with an X, and I I'm having a brain fart at the Is moment. It I'll look it up. Yeah, yeah. I, they t- everybody's been talking about it. Yeah, uh, new stuff. the reason. So I I will say in comparison with the the Merca brand sanding pads. It is 
probably two thirds of the cost. So a third less, which is great. Uh, but it's also a thinner pad so that like the Mercos I can use five, 10 times before I have to throw them out. The three really? M's I get two to three uses and it's like eh, time to go. Do you, so it ends really? up being about the same cost in the end. Wait, Cubetronics. That's the name of it, right? Yeah. Sorry. It so, just came to me. Yeah. Does it have a pad in between? Cause like, I know like so, when you buy the, the cheap ones, it has like a protector pad for your sander. Yeah. So my sander has that. I can order different ones, but mine has, it came with one. That's basically like the, the hook side of the Velcro. Mm-hmm. And then the soft side of the Velcro is on the opposite mm-hmm. side of the mesh pads. Mm-hmm. Very cool. Yeah. But yeah. I, I've used yeah, some of those with some. Amazon, but um, as far as it clogging up, you know, if I'm sanding like the, uh, the center of these boards, you know, where there's more of the, the resin, like where the actual logo is, yeah. I'll keep my, my, um, my air compressor uh, on my hip. Right. And, um, or at least the, the end of it. Right. And so every few passes, I'll pull it up and spray off and, uh, clear out the, clear out the grit, even with it having the full dust collection on. Cause oh, the, yeah. Cause the epoxy gums up everything. Yeah. The, the epoxy really does come up. Yeah. It's like, but, um, I don't need to spray it off as much near as much for the, the wood parts. But. You should try with a card scraper sometime and see how much you get off with that. And then just finish it up with the sander. Mm-hmm. Yes. You're uh, yeah, six, a six, $6, $8 card scraper. It's so if cheap. That works. I don't, I don't mm-hmm. know a good whiskey. I could send you that, that, that you, you couldn't haven't already had, but <laughs> Oh, actually, well, I could send you some of the, um, if I could somehow acquire it that from that Colorado place, the, um, the deer hammer. Oh yeah. yeah. That, like that rye that was finished in the stout. You said you haven't had that yet, right? I have not had that one yet. No. Which, um, that's not acquirable in Houston either, but I don't know if that works. I'll, I'll find a way to send you that. <laughs> okay. I was By the way, did you get the package? Way, but... you? Uh, I haven't yet. Is it supposed to be delivered yet? I've been, waiting uh, for it. I don't know. It'll probably show up tomorrow then. Okay, good. Good. Any more but, questions? Uh, yeah. What do we got? Yeah, dude. Um, okay. So we covered... no more sanding. I'm like sick to my stomach talking about sanding. I hate it. That's why I make all oh, the guys no. do. There's two I more, two, uh, two more sanding questions. I know it's our God. favorite topic, right? Do, do it quick. Like, but a you know what? But we got to know. So, all right. Number of passes per, uh, grit, right? So, um, we talked about the direction and your different grit changes, but so if you're at your lower grits, like 80, 120, uh, 150, 180, um, are you, whenever you're making, after you finish like a, do you, are you hitting it more than once is what I'm saying? Like I mark um, it with a, I mark whatever piece I'm sanding with a pencil. The right way. Yeah. The right way. I mark it with a pencil, like kind of scribble all over the whole thing. Once mm-hmm. the pencil marks are gone, I'm done with that grit. And then I change grits, mark it again. That's best way to do, do it. that. Is that usually more than one pass? No. It just no, takes you, a little longer on each pass. Right. Oh, oh, you, you just stay on like each section yep. until it's gone. Yep. Okay. Yeah. That's pretty that's a really good way to do it. You can do it with chalk too, but it's not as good as the pencil. I do not because I hate sanding. So I go over it. I because I, I sanded in some tops the other day. I went over it and I work in a pattern and I pay real. I I concentrate right and I kind of halfway go over where I was just at. So I'm like half the sander at a time, all the way down it, back and forth, left and right. I always do the full perimeter first, right? I do the perimeter first and then back and forth in the middle, 
And then I just kind of spot check it after that. And then I die. Like, that's it. And then I go to the next one. Got so, it. yeah. The pencil is okay. a good idea, though. I should do that. You should. Uh, I, do I, that. should do that. I do that for the drum sander. Um, you should try it with I, your, your, your orbital sander. You'll be surprised how yeah. much better your sanding goes. When I'm doing something real intense sanding where it, it matters a lot more, like a, like a brisket board is what I call it, but basically yep. like a like a side grain, bunch yep. of woods glued together board. Um, I'll, I'll do the pencil for that. But yeah, for these uh, cornel boards, I'm not doing it. Who taught that. you that, Ross? Uh, I think in all honesty, it was just watching stuff on YouTube. That's what I was going to say. The, the internet taught me that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I, yeah. I want to say it was probably either Jay Bates or Mark Spagnolo with the Wood Whisper. Yeah. That's amazing yeah, how know. much little stuff I've picked up just from reels even. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. Um, I, I did the super glue and, and blue tape trick yesterday to clamp something that wasn't clampable. Yep. It was yeah. like a long thing and I it it didn't it didn't stay as well as I wanted, but I was able to like put some little clamps and just barely clamp them and then little blocks and then be able to clamp it. Something I could yeah. not have clamped because it was like, you know, over ten feet long. Yeah. So oh, I yeah. never thought about using that for other stuff. I use the the uh, painter's tape and CA glue all the time yeah, for stuff on the CNC where I can't fit a like if it's so small or like so small of an edge that I can't fit a clamp on it, you know, mm-hmm. like my bit will hit the clamp. I'll, I'll, u- I'll use the, uh, the CA glue and, uh, well, the, the ta- tape, my tape came off in one spot and I, I have seen other people, as long as you put, like, say you're using a hardwood, if you put a softer wood and CA glue that on there, when you pop that piece of softer wood off, it's just going to leave a little bit and you can just sand it right off. And it's like not a big deal and no tape ah. at all. Um, so like a piece of pine or poplar on top of oak and generally it'll just come right off and then you can just sand that little bit off or chisel it off whatever nice so yeah like the uh the dogs that i'm working on like little dog coasters i'm working on for you just right now um they're insects but yeah yeah when i uh yeah they're right the insects yeah whenever i uh or inlays whatever you want to call it whenever i put those on like the main cnc to actually cut them out i plan to uh CA glue that because that little quarter inch uh, plywood is uh, it's so thin that even if you clamp it on all the edges, it can right. warp up in the middle still. And so with that painter's tape, CA glue method, it'll keep it flat. It's cool. But all right. So last last sanding question, our favorite topics. Um, so pop in the grain. Um mm-hmm. What's your methods? So I'll start with my method. So uh, if I'm going to say 220, right, I'll go through all the steps up to 180. And then I'll say it's a charcuterie board, right? And after I finish 180, I'll spray it down and um, tilt it up to where both sides can dry, right? And then once it's fully dry, um, I'll take the 220 and then I'll do a good pass on it with that. Um, for, are y'all just, doing similar methods a, or just a quick sidebar for, for any of the listeners who don't know what popping the grain is typically when you're sanding something, what you typically, as Colton was alluding to, you sand it up to a certain point and then you put water on there, whether you spray it on with a mist or you wipe it on. And the idea is you let that soak in and it raises the grain of the wood a little bit. And then you sand it again, and you won't have that issue once you put the finish on. So, yeah, yeah. and it it's works. Actually, 
Funny side note, I, I didn't really believe in popping the grain. This was early on in my woodworking career. I, I, I thought that was just people being ridiculous. You know, I was on these Facebook groups with these uh, 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 cutting board making Facebook groups, right? And mm-hmm. I thought it was like an excessive step, right? And then one time I was in the shop and I uh, didn't have good uh, AC going and I sweat. My sweat got on part of the board, right? Before I oiled it, oiled it and I was in a super hurry and um, I could feel where I had sweat on it. Even after I'd put the finish on like the oil, uh, I, I probably used walrus oil, cutting board oil. Yep. And uh, I could feel where I had raised up from that. And I was like, oh, there's something serious to this. And oh, so, yeah, yeah not, not, I'm a big believer now, but good. But yeah, so what's y'all's method? Uh, do you, yeah, are you similar in mine or? Yeah, so I typically do it to that 120 grit and then I will raise the grain, come back with the 120, then do the pencils uh, and work my way up to 220 and raise the grain one more time, depending on what kind of a piece it is. If it's something I want it to be super smooth, um, that I'm raising the grain a second time at 220 and then I'll resand it there and go up to 300 and that's where i'll call it well on, on your last one you said you're hitting it with 220 then sanding it or sorry then raising the grain and then sanding yeah. it again at 220 yeah so Man. basically i'm doing it at the 120 level raising the grain sanding again with 120 then i go 180 220 i raise the grain one more time Resand with 220, then I do 300, and then I'm done. Do you find a big difference doing it twice, raising the grain twice? If I if it's something where it's going to be like um, a charcuterie board or a serving board or even your brisket boards, if you will, especially when you have that end grain on the cutting boards, the last thing you want to have happen is a crack to like come open based on liquids hitting it, and mm. and, and then you can totally ruin the entire board. So I almost make it, if I can, as water permeable as possible uh, before I put on any of the finishes just from raising the grain twice. And it seems to give like a higher sheen to the finished uh, product as well. Very nice. I'm glad I asked. Jess, how about you, brother? So um, uh, for all of the people that are buying my furniture, I water pop all of it. For everyone that isn't buying my furniture – uh, I haven't water popped anything. I can't even begin to tell you the last time. And it literally says on the can of Rubio, water pop it. So to me, water popping, and for everybody that's listening, if they still think Colden's making it up, water popping is like, so you've been sanding, right? And you have laid over some of those grains. So imagine like, uh, when you get your hair cut, right? You've brushed your hair back. It's all back. When you water pop it, it gets it all standing, standing up again. Those grains, those little fuzzies that are you can't see are standing up, and you're going like, to shear them back off. It's it's like petting your dog the opposite way. Right. Like all of a sudden, those hairs go yes. the way they're not supposed to, yes. and then sanding it again is like pushing it back in the correct direction. Right, right. Well, I was going to use the analogy of sticking a fork in, a, in the outlet. Toaster? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Or, or yeah. toaster either way. Yeah. <laughs> Make your hair stand yeah. up. So yeah. it's gonna it's gonna raise them back up. So um yeah, water popping is uh, we are making some cutting boards right now, and I am going to because I have made some cutting boards for myself in haste for like Christmas presents or whatever, and I did not water pop them and I oiled them 
And soon as they got used the first time, that grain mm-hmm. raced. So, washed, yeah. right. So, um, yeah, uh, water popping is great. It, if I, when I am doing it, I will probably do like uh, 180 or something like that, water pop it, and then probably jump to the next grain, like 220. And then, and okay, then so like you immediately. Like you do the one eighty water pop immediately to well to t- since he's saying that I don't know I might try it I might I'm gonna I'll try both ways I'll yeah. redo it with one I just did it with right maybe even water pop it twice and then um I mean what what's it gonna matter if you've got a dozen of them to do you got the time so yeah. and it's hot I can set them outside they'll dry really fast so um mm-hmm. it's usually just been a matter of time. And I've got all this stuff that's all got to get sanded. And then like immediately it's going to the next process. So I haven't had chance to, to, I even bought all the sprayers and everything to water pop some of that stuff. But, um, but well, yeah. Why not just like, um, just like a water spray bottle. I do. I, I got some. Like, oh, 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 oh. So I was picturing you had like some big, like a, uh, like pesticide sprayer. sprayer. <laughs> no, not a bad no. idea if you got a lot to spray. Oh, yeah. I do have yeah. a question though. So like that butcher buck Island, you know, that I put in my living room or in my yeah. kitchen. So mm-hmm. it's all, it's all standing up. What should I do? Should I do like some steel wool and mineral oil? You think that would work? Because uh, it's oiled. It's oiled at this point. I can't sand it. Like it's just gum up everything. Mm, I, some steel so- wool. Ross, while you're thinking of it, I so walrus oil, I actually watched some of their videos recently and they suggest whenever you're putting an oil on that you take like an old piece of paper or old piece of sandpaper and like sand it in with that grit, with your finished grit. Huh. And uh, like while it's on there, like, uh, you know, normally where I would like use like a cotton rag or something to be rubbing it in to the grain, uh, use a piece of sandpaper to rub it into the grain. That that may be a solution for that. Interesting. The other thing you can try, and this is going more old school with this method, but the steel wool, working your way up through grits of steel wool and putting uh, paste wax down in between those layers. Mm. So like working your way up uh, and like do two or three layers or like grits of steel wool in one day. Make sure you're obviously getting the pieces of steel wool up before you try and eat off of it. Right. Um, but uh, then putting down some paste wax and then coming back and doing the same thing the next day with like starting at what was your second grit day one, start there and go up again. You'd hmm. be surprised how like smooth everything will get. Interesting. I just bought for the first time um, the walrus oil and walrus oil wax. It's awesome. Wax. Yeah, you guys all rave about it. I'm not. I I like to go for what I know is going to work. It's really not that expensive either. So no, it, I'm excited and it works to see what incredibly it well. Out. And the best part about it to to me, and I'm sure Colton would agree with this. There is zero scent. Like a lot of times when you're putting an oil on something, the fumes just overtake the house or the the shop or whatever. Mm-hmm. Putting this on is literally just like putting water on, and, but it totally makes everything pop out. And the wax is just that finished coat. After you've let that soak in for 24 hours, you wipe off the excess, put on the wax, and call it a day. Interesting. Yeah, it's yeah. going to be cool. I love it. Oh, um, on the walrus oil, uh, the, their, their furniture butter. Is, yes, um, I use it all the time. 
I, really? Yeah, I've used the heck out. Which also, I've seen the furniture oil. Have that like, as well. Um, I, I, I've seen you use that, Ross, in a, a, some videos. But um, yeah, I've never used that. I, I think I like. I so the major difference is the furniture oil and the furniture butter are basically the same ingredients. The only difference being the beeswax in the furniture butter. And it coagulates it so that if you're doing stuff where you're doing a lot of sides of a, a dresser or a table leg or something, it's easier to control the furniture butter than it is to control furniture oil because the oil will just run and pool, whereas this you can kind of control where it's going. That's the only yeah. difference between it. So I use the furniture oil if something is just like a, a horizontal piece that I know it's just going to go on the tabletop. But if there's a lot of edges and vertical pieces to it, I'll use the furniture butter. Yeah, that makes sense. So, so what was it? I think two years ago, maybe in, in a month, it'll be two years. Um, I made my grandpa what I call a smart side table, right? And oh, yeah. You were telling my, us about that. Yeah, with my, my current woodworking knowledge at the time. So there was a bunch of pocket screws. Um, I mean, there's a lot of stuff engineered out. He had about 23 things, right, that he had to be, have right next to him. Like mm -hmm. from medication to an iPad. And so I did like a lazy Susan thing with a bunch of like very specific divots in it, yeah. like with a, with a dish bit and then like a place for his iPad and mail and then some different drawers and then like a slide out that would like come across his lap. Right. Sure. And then a place below it for like a small trash can and stuff and whatever. Yeah. But um, from what I've learned about woodworking in the last two years, um, I was prepared to see this thing and have it be warped up. And cause I didn't plan for wood. It's made out of red Oak. Okay. And um, I was prepared to see some wood movement, some peeling up and for it to be dry and whatever. But I was actually pretty impressed. There was a uh, very little movement. Like uh, I could see where a small crack was starting on one side, on the backside. Mm -hmm. And, um, but the, uh, so, yeah, I took this red oak, I stained it with an oil base stain, and then I finished it with the walrus oil furniture butter, and it still felt rich. Like, it wasn't mm -hmm. dry anywhere, and I was actually impressed how well it stood up to the test yeah. of time. Yeah. And um, I, I was pretty happy with it. So, it was, I don't know, a lot of the projects I do, I send out, and I don't get to see them years down the road. Yeah. And, um this one was one that I got to follow up on and I, I was actually kind of impressed. So, however, if I would have done it with today's knowledge, Oh, I could have done so much better. There been way less pocket pocket screws. And uh, I would, I don't know with it being his, I probably would try to do like a, an exposed dovetail kind of like your desk Ross. Yeah. And yeah. Um, all sorts of stuff, but it was, it was, pretty, it, it was cool seeing it next time. It, yeah. He still uses it every day. And there you go. I, That's really what matters. It made my heart happy. Oh, then on the front of it. Uh, so we call him GB, right? It stands for grand buddy, right? Okay. So I, I'm, I'm the oldest grandkid, right? And um, I think there's like 13 of us. And um, I don't know, whenever I was becoming the age where I could say his name and we wanted to get him a name, he was, uh, he didn't feel old enough to be a, a, a grandpa, right? He wanted to be a buddy. So mm -hmm. grand buddy, GB, that's his name. I so like on it. the front... On the front of it, I carved in and then did like a, I painted the, in, the, the carve in, um, big, a big GB on the front and then all hmm. the grandkids names around it in a circle. That's awesome. So it, it was probably cool means to more see. to him than anything else. 
Oh yeah, he loves it. Very cool. I love stuff yeah. like that. Yeah. And so that concludes all of our favorite topics, sanding. That's all the questions <laughs> I got for us. It only took well, an hour. The, yeah, I was going to say, <laughs> it, we're, we're 50 minutes into it. We'll talk um, to you guys later. Yeah. Well, uh, man, I, I feel like everyone sands and like I always question myself, like I have my methods and like I wonder if they're based on actual facts or actual physics of wood or if it's just little what I think works and tradition. And so I think this clears a lot of the air on that. There you go. So Jess, what's going on in your shop, man? Uh, I made a stair railing today. Most of it. Um, Did that go to a company or stairway to heaven? But I'm bummed. It is going to an old customer that actually the only person that came to our little show um, was somebody that I actually had done. They, she followed us on Facebook and uh, she's like, I got to go down there and see them. And it turns out I knew her because I'd made her a barn door about five years ago. That's so, awesome. She she hadn't even seen me in one of the videos yet. Um, and so huh. she, she, I was like, I knew she looked familiar, but I didn't say anything. And then she's like, you used to work. And I'm like, yeah, yeah. So uh, she's actually an engineer. So she's very, uh, comes with fantastic drawings of everything that she needs. Right. And awesome. so she just wanted this and that. And then when I got there, like her stair treads were all messed up. So I fixed those and restained them. And then I made her the handrail. And then she had this little thing. She wanted a door for under her stairs. So we're making that. And then one of my customers that we're doing some cabinets for that lost all of her kitchen in the hurricane. Obviously she has other friends in that neighborhood because everybody in the neighborhood lost everything on the bottom floor, mm-hmm. four feet up. So they need cabinets. So she said she gave them our name. So hopefully we'll get some more cabinets from that. Nice. And then uh, I made that TV surround for uh, that big screen TV. They loved it. They want two more. Um, Very I nice. Go, I got to go over there and finish up. I'm having problems with that paint gun I got. Just doesn't spray large areas. And when I say large areas, like anything bigger than a piece of trim very well, because it sprays with so much pressure and air that it kind of like dusts, dusts really? what's in front of it because the paint dries in the air. Yeah. So um dude like what what i need an airless it's a cheap it's a cheap one that i got from amazon but i've used other ones and it's the best of them i need an airless sprayer for the thick paints that we paint with i need an airless sprayer like a fuji um i even that one's got a turbine doesn't it i I don't know airless sprayer so like Professional painters will paint a house with it, right? It literally pressurizes the paint in the hose, and that's it. There's no air. You hear it goes zing, 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 and it's it's literally pumping and pressurizing that paint so much that when it comes out of that little tiny nozzle, it atomizes. But there's no air behind it. It's just paint. So it prevents it from like clumping up. So Graco is making one now that has a side-mounted belt that has a battery pack and the pump and you put it like on your side and then it has a little hose that comes to your gun, which is nice and light and you can get it in small, like inside cabinets and stuff. And it's all over TikTok and stuff, but the dang thing's $1,500 and that's just for like one battery. So I, I just hate, there's some HVNLP stuff that they're selling at the paint store that we're at that is supposed to be pretty nice. I don't know. 
we'll get through it, but it doesn't matter because they put crown and stuff all around those column wraps that there's the issue. So it all had to be painted anyway. It all got caulked and everything anyway. So it all still needs to have another coat of paint put on it. So we're going to go over there tomorrow and sand it down and paint it on a measure for the other TVs, take some pictures of what we've done and take some pictures of that TV that we did do. Um, the website's doing okay. We got them both split. There's some issues. The whole, for anybody that ever wants to start a thing on Shopify with a bunch of inventory, it's a little trickier than you think, especially getting it on Facebook and Google and all that stuff with their with their protocols, um, especially Google. So I have yet, because of what I had to do with the URLs and switch what account was under what and do this and do that. I have to re kind of do it all, but it's all saved. It So it should just upload and get approved and we should be good. So um, I talked, we're still having problems with the logo, which is really annoying on Google. Problems like them, not like. So Google, Google asks Google you. Google not accepting it? I mean. So what happens logo? when you, when you go to get on Google shopping is that they ask you for like, I would say nine or 12 different, your logo in different ways, right? Like a banner, this many pixels or a logo, uh, you know, two to one or a square or a circle or this or that, or this or that. Right. And it's for, for people that are Google shopping on a phone or a tablet or a TV or a computer and a favicon, which is like, uh, do you guys know what a favicon is? It's like when you yeah, it's one of those little beans that goes in chili. N- no, no, that's a that's a that's a fava bean. No, a favicon. So if if you if you look at our browser right now, right, and you mm-hmm. have a tab open in Google Chrome, that little icon that's next to it. Oh yeah, that's called yeah, a favicon. Yeah. So you have to make a favicon, but it has to be like you so you can still read it. Right. So because it's only like 32 by 32 pixels or something like that. Mm-hmm. So you have to design something simplistic and Google doesn't want too much white space around it. And it doesn't want this and it can't be this. And this is too wordy and blah, 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 blah. And they don't really tell you what's wrong. They just so disapproved. That's all they say. And then they give you examples, but the examples aren't very clear. So it's like this game. It doesn't cost you anything, but it's like this game you play. So. Uh, they want you to have a memorable logo that is just a logo and no words, essentially, like yes, the Google logo. Or some of them, yes, yeah, some of them, yes, like absolutely. Any sports franchise logo, especially for the absolutely the Favicon. Absolutely, yeah. There, there's that's one of them for sure. So um, it's not as easy as it looks. And no, it's fairly difficult to create an iconic logo that has no words that people will recognize your brand from. Right, and they want it in PNG, Wex, uh, Web X, Web, Web, Web D, or something like that. Uh, some of them have to be WebMD. PNG. It means you have cancer. <laughs> uh, some yeah. of them have to be JPEGs and still be clear and blah blah what? blah. Have you so tried any, just doing your your initials? I mean, no, I, listen, man, so I tried, sure I tried I everything. Fabricon. But like mine, no. But we're talking like, about think, getting approved on Google Shopping. Oh, Google Shopping, right? So oh, it's annoying. Yeah. I I don't really don't even talk about it. But that the he's tried to help a little bit with it, and he's getting kicked out too. So I, it's just kind of the last of our worries. We talked about getting the trailers wrapped with some our like signage on them, 
And then we decided today, I think we're just going to instead, why don't we use that money that we were going to spend? Cause it's going to be pretty expensive and spend it on advertising on Facebook oh. and Instagram mm-hmm. and Google. And he goes, you know, I think that's a good idea. Why don't we do that first? Cause we can do the trailers anytime. Yep. So, um, there are just some boring details of the website and some things that we're going to get done. And then he is going to start an ad campaign for us. That's very targeted where we hopefully get the most return on investment by making it very targeted with a very high success probability. So that's kind of where we're at with that. It's very boring. Um, I'm interested to hear how, um, what targets are best for your friends? So exactly. It's it's not just about that. The target closest to my house is a little smaller than a super target, <laughs> but the super target has much more furniture. You can oh, get all kinds gosh. of fun stuff there. <laughs> so, uh, super K it's, it's kind of like this. Anymore, though, huh? It's, yeah. it's kind of like this. So you can go into Google, right? And you can see who is searching and how they are searching and where they are searching for specific things i mean we're talking down to they make this much money a year they're straight and they are uh they live in this particular area and they're doing this right and that's married yeah you can and that's where you want and that's where you want your these and you can see how many people are searching it and more importantly you can see how many other people are you competing with and are these other people paying oh, millions of dollars to advertise and there's just pointless for you to even try, right? I'm spacing Ross out here. He's totally not interested in this. But uh, no. the, the, it, so it's, 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 it's something that a professional marketer has to do. You know, somebody that's done yeah. this hundreds and hundreds of other times and has been successful at it and has a, a recipe for success. So well, we're going to pay him and he's going to do it. Once you figure out your equation, once you figure out your perfect concoction, your best cocktail here. Uh, I, I'm, I'm interested to hear I, it I will tell you there isn't one. That's the problem. There oh, isn't. There. And it, well, it is a, a little bit of game of throw some stuff at the wall and see what yeah. sticks. But Well, it's some, it's some A-B but it, testing. But once you get it tested, that's what I'm talking about. Like once you yeah. find it out. I'm sure, I'm sure he's going to do his yeah. justice. I'm making him a cabinet too. I'm making him nice. a cabinet for his kitchen. So he's going to walk in and be like, poof, you're a cabinet. Uh, oh, and uh, we had a lady call from Woodworks Tampa Bay from our website, and she wants a desk. And he does hockey, so it's going to have like a hockey stick for a leg, and it's going to be like up on nice. pucks. And I'm going to do like this thing across the back that has a thing for his like. I guess oh, he so- has some hockey pucks that are like worth something to him. Yes, and and we're going to like do a, like a little. I'm going to try to incorporate like a little thing across the back for him to display them. Because only one side, it's an L-shaped desk, so one side's oh, going to oh, show. That sounds like something that I could see and see cut you. Uh, I don't think so. I'll be good. What? Okay, <laughs> okay never mind then. <laughs> no, I actually thought about you doing an NHL thing in the top, and she said they didn't want it too busy. So it's just going to sure. be a wood top, and um, I don't know yet. I don't know. I'm going to draw it, and I'm going to use some of our I know this is, this is an odd thing to throw out. But if there's any way you could do the edge banding in hockey skate laces, that would be a detail he would not be expecting that he would totally love. Wait, uh, hockey skate no, laces. I don't, it uh, doesn't have any edge banding. D- d- here, 
think of it as like edge trim or like the so way like you, router you, a groove you, around the the edge of the yeah. walnut yeah oh because the hockey skates are real thick laces right yes but they're specific like and just white each with day black turn it and checks. fill it with a clear epoxy yeah mm. oh that's really smart I could well I could just talk to his wife and see if she because they're gonna have to pay for it but that's yeah. a really good idea so yeah. where would I get hockey laces from anywhere that sells hockey skates. Like a sporting okay. goods store, don't you have? I like bet he's six? got used ones. I bet he's so, got used. Yeah, ones. but don't you, you don't want to use ones? Dirty They're ones. Be, <laughs> yeah. You can literally go to like Dick Sporting Goods or just go on Amazon and you can order mm-hmm. some. They're like four or five dollars for a pair. They're cheap. That's really that's a great idea, Ross. I think I, I'll do that. I like. I will that. give you some forewarning on that. If you're trying to use epoxy and have something inlaid in it, and then a, a clear epoxy. And have it like crystal clear, like smooth. It takes a lot of sanding and buffing to make epoxy crystal clear. And you have to be extremely cautious of bubbles whenever you're working with clear epoxy. Yes, mm-hmm. this is true. I will this say that. So don't, don't think it's a small thing. Just pour the epoxy in on the next no, step. I've done That's going to be a big before. deal. I've done epoxy before. Okay, okay. Sorry, I wasn't trying to talk down to you on that. No, no, you're saying. right. It, it, no. That's a, it's a big deal. Well, it'll all probably get polyurethane over it, like a matte polyurethane anyway. So, Oh, well, that would, yeah. It'll save a little bit, but bubbles do happen. So, yeah, yeah so that's what's going on in my neck of the woods. Nice. Ross, nice. you want to mix it up and you go next? Sure. Sure. Uh, I was able to deliver all of the uh, bases. Actually, I had to make 12 more bases for those bowling pin trophies. Whoop, and whoop. Uh, they asked me to build another 15 more. So I got some work when I get back. Dude, and those were cool. I, I've really enjoyed, um, once you did post all of those on the Instagrams Thank that, you. uh, see, see all, like, wait, you said those, those were kids making those. So yeah, basically the, the, the foundation that I'm making them for, they raise money to put kids through trade school for automotive repair. So they put kids through school to do automotive repair as a career. And so they get all these like bowling pins that are all beat up and cracked. And the kids have to learn how to like bondo them around a curved shape and make everything smooth. And then they work on their paint skills too. So it's like a perfect thing for them to practice on. And then they can put their own artistic flair onto the pins. And actually the last dozen pins, no 15 pins that I got, um, the the students were you could tell were at least second or third year students because the paint jobs were like primo but that you could also tell they were really big into like fast and furious style street racing because <laughs> all the paint was all the paint styles were like um japanese drift car uh style paint and it was it was really cool to see how ornate they were and they did an amazing job putting them down but it was one of those where you're like, okay, every one of these kids is really big into the Fast and Furious franchise. Um, so yeah, I got those delivered and started working a little bit more on the Spalted Maple table. And I actually got contacted by a customer who I've made some custom boxes. He he has made his own whiskey company and needs custom boxes for presentation of his whiskey. Mm. and uh he actually reached out he was like okay i'm gonna need like anywhere from 50 to 100 of these boxes to start out but it'll be more orders from there but in all honesty i need like a laser etching on the front of of all these i'm like i don't have a laser etcher but i was able to 
reach out via, via them interwebs. And I have hooked up with, uh, actually some of you may know him as, uh, Titty, Titty Nick. Yeah. Um, well, I said, well, he, he came to your, uh, your meetup. Yeah. Your shop. Yeah. Yeah. So he and I are going to at least start to work on some things and, uh, see if we can pound out, uh, whatever it's going to take to make these laser etchings. Cause it's wait, Nick it's, has laser. So Nick has access to like ridiculous tools because Nick oh, is actually dude. an architectural scale designer. So like his day job, he builds, he works for a company that they actually make like the tallest skyscrapers in the world. And he's the one who has to make scale models that they can put on like a presentation table. So people like they pull off the cover and people are like, Ooh, this is what it's going to look like. So he takes the computer models and he makes everything um, for this company. And yeah. And That's they give cool him access guys. to the shop. So so he has access to ridiculous tools, like ridiculous tools. Good bull. Yeah. yeah, well, I mean, even his tools in his shop, like I've, I don't know, I've considered looking at like that one he has where it's a, I don't even know the correct name for oh, it. Oh, the rotary CNC? Yes. Yes. That. Yeah. That, oh, I would love to run one of those, man. Yeah, he Jeez. makes some crazy cool stuff. But, that one's um, on the bucket list for this uh, master shop I have nice. in my head. So. so, yeah, I'm starting to work on those guys. And outside of that, uh, I was in touch with the, the family about their door, and they never came to pick it up. But I have some other options for them. So, uh, unfortunately, I'm traveling for my day job uh, right now. But once I'm done with this and I get home, I got a bunch of stuff I got to pound out this weekend. So, yeah. Very good. Yep. That sounds like good stuff. Yep. How about you, Colton? What's going on? All right. So what's the count at? Is there an update? Well, well, uh, we last recorded on Thursday last week and today is Monday and I was out of town from Friday, four o'clock till yesterday evening. So the count's not any different. Um, I mean, it's worked towards being a little different, but it's, uh, it's not any different than last week, but, um, yeah, I don't know. We got some stuff going on this week. So I guess for starters, uh, Ross, right now you're wearing a Chicago Blackhawks hat, right? I am. That's a hockey team, correct? It is. It is one of my, well, it is my favorite team. Yes, uh, it is our so, hockey team and the only team that is worth cheering for in Chicago at the moment. Uh, everybody else is letting us down. So fair enough. But I, I know that logo way too in- intimately before I even knew they were a hockey team. I had a customer buy a set of boards of those like early on in my first round of sales, about what year, year and a month ago. Mm-hmm. And um, that's when I learned that any set, there it is, any set of boards that has like um, a, a Native headdress. American Indian with a headdress on it is going to be a pain in the butt because there's so many colors. different, <laughs> so many different colors in the headdress and you got to make like an eighth inch piece of wood like for each of the like the the veins of the feathers and mm-hmm. uh, i i've looked at that logo for hours hours just uh <laughs> editing and making it right and and uh so yeah very intimate with the chicago blackhawks and uh i'll tell you what we did dan good job but it was one of those orders that we were trying to get it out so fast i did not get very many good pictures of it i do 
I did get some, I think at least one picture with it lit up. I'll, I'll have to send that to you guys. Yeah. But, um, but that one was a booger and, um, yeah, we got it. Um, I guess outside of cornhole this week, we got some other fun stuff. Um, so I'm doing a, uh, like a U.S. picture map. I don't know if you've okay. ever seen that. Like, um, so picture like on the back of like a motorhome, right. And you got like, uh, it's the the outline of all the 50 states yep. with um, a hole in the middle. And then each state they go to, they put a sticker in it, right? So, Oh, yeah, yeah. I've seen so, that with uh, bottle caps for breweries. Yeah. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. that's, that's a good idea, too. But, uh, okay, so we're doing that, except it's going to be a wall piece. And um, doing it for Crystal's cousin. And um, we're doing it, like, it's like two layers to where he'll put a picture in each state, um, like when, once they visit it and like a picture is from that state and whatever. Hmm. So it, I'm, I'm, I'm cutting just the two layers and he's a woodworker and podcast listener himself. And so he, uh, he's going to do the frame around it and, uh, he's going to do some painting to it. But so the two layers I'm doing, one is going to be like the 50 States cut out. And then the back layer is going to have like, um, I think just the name of the state written out on it for the, so you can still see it through and for all the states he hasn't filled in yet. Hmm. And I was kind of curious if y'all had any ideas on how to do like those Northeastern states, like Rhode Island and all the tiny ones. And so this thing is going to be about, uh, I think it's about 47 inches by 20 something like going up. Wow. So that means so, Rhode Island is going to be like two inches across. Yeah. Or like, yeah, it, it's not going to be much. Um, Can you I, do like I, a, I, a line out and like Rhode Island, like, like pointing oh, to it that like they do be. with like on a map, they'll like do, cause you can't fit the word Rhode Island on Rhode Island on a map. So they just draw a little, a little line out and then like, this is Rhode Island. You know what? That that might be the solution. Yeah. You also have to do one for Connecticut. Yeah. 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 All those tiny, tiny states up there. Mm-hmm. That, that's not a bad idea. You know, uh, I'll, I'll I'll reach out to him because uh, there's room on that side to do it. So yeah, the hardest I'll, part, I'll, in all honesty, for your cousin is going to be cutting out the pictures in the exact shape of each state. <laughs> well, so that's where I was going to make it easy. And, um, so on the back piece, I'm lasering the, the, the name of the States in, and then Mm -hmm. I'm doing the outline. Right. And so, um, whenever you want to add a picture, you just take it out of the frame and take your back panel and just, uh, carve it to that back panel. Okay. Nice. uh, Cause I'm going to have like either eighth inch or quarter inch. Um, I might have to go thinner on the border for the, for those Northeastern tiny, tiny States. But uh, or you could just do it all as one big thing that says New England. <laughs> yeah, you could do that. Yeah. There you go. But but yeah, so th- that'll be neat. But I mean, pretty simple for my side. It's just some laser and some CNC work. Then uh, making a baby sign for somebody. Are you which, making a baby? Uh, no, no. Oh, okay. It's like it's like baby on board. No, uh, we're still practicing, but not. Hey, that's the most fun part. Yes, it, <laughs> it is. It is. Just socially doesn't so, take you serious. Yeah. So one of Crystal's <laughs> old coworkers, uh, she wanted this baby sign, basically like a 30 inch wide circle, 30 inch diameter circle. 
and then um, like uh, outraised. What's the word for it? Basically, I'm going to cut out the baby's name and put it big in the middle. But unfortunately, when you said outraised, I, I don't know why. But my mind went to, is this a feral child raised outside? <laughs> Here's your kibble. Eat it and shut up. Oh. I don't care if it's raining. Have you ever seen the horror movie Mama? No. no. Yes. Oh. Yes. That's the dumbest movie. Yes. When she gets all the kids and gets them all drunk and stuff. Yeah. No. What? No. Oh, oh, you're. Um, I don't call her Mama. About. That's a thriller. I'm talking about the horror movie, like no. sci fi horror. No. Okay. Now, uh, basically, there's these kids that were like left out in a cabin, and um, like their parents died or something, and um, they got raised by this evil spirit, and it followed them back whenever their parents found them. Long story short, but hmm. yeah, no, um, no, I don't have to see it. Oh well, it, it, it's a pretty good one. It, it's pretty neat conceptually, but um, <laughs> I, I, I'm into those horror movies though. Like, uh, man, used to on um, whenever Netflix had like the star ratings. Like I would go find a, like a good two star movie, like that was uh, in the horror category, and you Dude, get some good I, concepts there. I love some of like the awful horror movies. Mm-hmm. Like there was one I saw, um, Nymphoid Barbarian from. Uh, let's see, the Nymphoid Barbarians in the Avocado Jungle of Death. That was a good one. <laughs> yeah, any, anytime the 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 title is about six words long, yeah, you know it's gonna, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, there's some classics out there, and you watch it. You oh, just yeah. start. You pretend you're at like um, uh, an urban theater, and you just start yelling at the screen and having the <laughs> best time. Yes, <laughs> yes, like Mystery Science oh, Theater man. 3000 yes. or whatever. Literally, yes. you do that. Yes. Oh, that's good. Anyway, yeah, all right. That about, that about wraps it up for me. Yeah, all right. I'm Are ready. You ready to uh, possibly jump into a little Wood of the Week? So, what the week? Do we want to, Jess? Uh, we can. Wow. You know what? Sure. Okay. Let's do it. Wow. 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 All right. Caution, everyone out there. Today, there is a little bit of uh, a controversy involving this particular wood because it is trying to claim, and Google is trying to claim, and Hitchcock and King are trying to claim that this is the hardest wood in the world. Mm. And it is called Australian Bloke. Now, you're telling me an Australian Bloke is the hardest wood in the world? (laughs) (laughs) That's a sticky bloke, eh? Right. (laughs) So, Bloke, B-U-L-O-K-E. So, Lignum Vitae is supposed to be the hardest, right? And when I look on some things, it tells me – so as I, I did a little more research on the Janka hardness, and the Janka hardness is a 0.44 millimeter ball bearing that when it is halfway sunk in the wood, that is where they measure the hardness, right? So however many pound feet it took to push it in there halfway, that's the Janka hardness, right? So the, hmm. whatever that machine is that pushes it down. Uh, but – some are saying that this is higher. Some are saying that this is lower. So I, they're saying that Australian Baloque is 5,080 pound feet, Janko hardness. And they're saying Lignum Vitae is somewhere around 
like 4,500, something like that. Right. Okay. Uh, so I don't know, you know, you get different readings on a different, every different trees. But what I can tell you is that it's hard. It's very hard. As a matter of fact, it's so hard. It's very hard to work with. It's hard for your tools. I can describe it to other woodworkers. So have you ever cut a piece of oak on like a quarter sawn and it's got those big fat medullary rays going through it, you know, like those veins. That's what this stuff looks like, like on crack, like very big. If, if anybody wants to Google it, uh, it's very, it's very pretty. Um, and they make in Australia, they make, the tree doesn't get very big, but they make, you know, live edge tables out of it and all kinds of different things for it. Same thing we talked about before that, that, um, uh, uh, Colton doesn't believe they make bearings out of it, out of, out of wood. Right. So, mm-hmm. so a bearing is any surface that lets something else like rub against it, like as a sacrificial surface. Right. So, well, so it doesn't actually need to be spherical. Uh, no, uh, a bearing, like there's plain bearings in a motor, right. And they're just like half circles. Right. On the, it's just, a, it's a bearing surface that something rubs against it. So they use it That's in right. boats and stuff like that. Uh, and, but to be honest with you, that's I as as far as making like some furniture and cabinetry and stuff, it doesn't bend, it doesn't do anything else like that. But I just thought it was really interesting that because there's like YouTube videos about it, people arguing about these two, and no, this is the hardest, and no, this is the hardest, and some people call other woods uh, the hardest, like snake wood, and there's one called Shinopsis Baffinsay and. And I don't know some other weird uh, Latin words, but wasn't um, Shinopsis Retin say the new R and B singer on the BET Awards? I don't think so. No, and, and no, and so oh yeah, dude, that's all S note. I know yeah. that. Guy. Yeah, uh, I Snoopy Dog, Snope Dog. They use the one of the biggest things they're still they still use it for is like making ships tackle out of it, like pulleys and stuff like that, and yeah. um like carver's mallets, hand plane soles for wooden hand planes and things like that. So it's, that's it. That is the supposedly the Australian bloke that is uh, supposed to be the hardest wood in the world at this time. She's a cheeky bloke. I'll tell you, which brings us to, and as our last (laughs) guest last week asked me, he said, do you write these questions or do you find them on the internet? And it's a little bit of both, but this week, I wrote all these questions myself. Oh. Give yourself a round of applause, Jeff. Yeah. So. And uh, also, I can uh, confirm, I, I, I called Jess earlier uh, and uh, was talking about his, uh, his dog inlays. And, uh, oh, I guess I didn't talk about those much. But um, <laughs> he, said, he said he was writing. He said he was writing about his questions. So and, he, it, I will say this is uh, under uh, – uh, Colton's request. They are all oh. but one are multiple choice. And that is all for right. the benefit benefit of the viewer. They can play along. The listeners. Yeah. 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 Viewer or listener. Right. So um, some of these are about history of woodworking. Some of these are about history of tools. Some of these are about trees. Some of these are about um, uh, woodworking techniques and joints. So I hope you're strapped in because it's going to be a doozy this week. Let's do it. <laughs> All right. Let her so, rip, brother. The first question 
is, and and I don't want you guys to answer it first, okay? Uh, I'm going to let you answer after. That way, okay. if our listeners listening, they get a chance to think about it. Uh, okay. When, sure. After it's been read. So the first, this is the longest question, all right? I get the longest one first. What is the difference between a rabbit and a dado? Right? So is it A, a rabbit has a radius corner and a dado does not? Is it B, a dado is a slot and a rabbit is usually a round or oval hole? C, a rabbit is a step-shaped recess along the edge of a piece of wood and a dado is a recess with the wood on either side. Or D, a rabbit is made only uh, for another piece to be attached to it and a dado is usually ornamental uh, or by itself. All right. And so, so what do you got? Um, Ross. C the rabbit is on the edge. The dado has wood on both sides. That is correct. That is the difference. So a rabbit would be like the little edge on a picture frame that you set your picture in. There's no wood past it. Right. But a dado would be a slot with wood on both sides of it. That does not go all the way through. Right, usually used for joining another piece of wood in it. Colton, right. what do you think the answer is? So, uh, <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I, right, so. I, I wrote down C as you're going, but I, I, in my defense, I was trying to picture both of them. There's a lot of big terms in there. So, <laughs> yes. <laughs> but yes, okay. I, I, I was going to guess C. So, all right. Very good. Well, we'll call on Ke- uh, Colton next for the next one. Are you ready yeah. for question number two? We are. All right. Question number Woo. two. Who made now this is a this is a very carefully worded question okay who made the modern butterfly joint famous in their work is it a norm abram b bob vila <laughs> oh dang it i can't laugh all right uh d sam maloof or c d uh George Nakashima. Uh, e, Jimmy DeResta. No, and it's not Jimmy DeResta. No, I, I'm going to go with In- D. D, George Nakashima. I'm yeah. going to go with C, Sam Maloof. And the correct answer is George Nakashima. Now, Sam Maloof is one of the world's most famous woodworkers as far mm-hmm. as woodworking is concerned. But George Nakashima back in the 50s? I think, I think 52 uh, made it very common. Now cut back to a very much earlier episode of uh, uh, our podcast. Yeah. We discussed that they were used in Egyptian Egyptian ships, right? Butterfly joint, the Dutchman's joint. It's, they Mm -hmm. found it and they're really not even sure how old it was, right? They used it for all different kinds of reasons. I literally have pictures of that on my phone because shortly before that episode, I had taken my kids to the Field Museum, which is the Museum of Natural History in Chicago. And we were standing over that exhibit. And I was like, look at this. This is like a 3,000-year-old boat, and it's got bow ties. That's right. That's right. Also called the Dutchman's Joint and um, bow tie and something else, I forget. Butterfly Joint. Okay. Okay. Question number three. This is one that you are not going to know. If you do know it, you're a total nerd. All right. Are you ready? Who is the Roman god of carpentry? Is it A, uh, 
Hephaestus? Is it B, Ares? Is it C, Erichthonius? Excuse me, Erichthonius. I did. I should have read these ahead of time. Or is it D, Euphemy? Once again, is it Hephaestus, Ares, Erichthonius, Erichthonius, or Euphemy? Euphemy. I'm gonna go with C. That sounds like arithmetic and uh, ar- uh, architecture. Yeah, I'm gonna, gonna go with A. I'm gonna go with A. It is A. And oh, as, got it. he was supposed to be the son of uh, uh, Zeus. And for the real geeks out there, Euph- Euphemes and Erichthonius were his children. Mm-hmm. Uh, Ares right. is the god of war. That's and there right. are times when I'm woodworking, I feel like starting a war, but that is <laughs> a totally different subject. Yeah. Okay. Starting a Very war on my sander. Yeah. That's right. <laughs> All right. Are you ready for question four? Yep. Question four. Uh, and we went over this already today, so hopefully everybody was paying attention. What is considered to be the hardest wood in the world? Is it A, Quebracho? B, Osage Orange, C, Australian Baloque, or D, Lignum Vitae? Obviously, the answer is that Australian Bloke. Australian Bloke. Now, what I did find is Quebracho. Quebracho is literally Spanish for, like, the hardest wood. That's what it means. And evidently, it's right up there by Lignum Vitae. And there were stories that Don Juan was Quebracho. <laughs> Quebracho. Anyway, all right, moving on. Question five. What is the softest wood? Other end of the spectrum. Is it northern white cedar, A? Is it B, Palonia? Palo, is it B, balsam poplar? Or is it, uh, excuse me, D, balsam poplar? Or D, balsa. So A, northern white cedar. B is polonia. Polonia. C is balsam poplar. And and D D is poplar. Is is balsa. balsa. I'm going to go go D. I'm going to go D. D, balsa. I'm going to agree with that. Okay, yes. And the Janka hardness of balsa. Yes. Yeah. The Janka hardness of balsa is 90. <laughs> so That's incredible. Even, even balsam, balsam oh, poplar, which is actually number two, is like 200. Uh, and then, you know, we were just talking about things in the 5,000 range. Oak is like in the 1,500 to 1,000 range. So, yeah, it what is. What do they very make soft. toothpicks out of typically? Are they balsa? No, they're. Uh, um, bamboo was one of them, right? Well, yeah. But there was make, another one. No, it's we looked this up the other day. We no, we need to look up matchsticks, right? Yeah, matchsticks. I don't uh, know, probably pine or something. All right. Hmm. Next All right. six. This is a hard one. When did they invent the cordless drill? Not the electric drill, the cordless drill. So batteries was are it, involved? All right. Yes. Was it A nineteen seventy three? B nineteen fifty seven? C nineteen seventy eight? Or D, 1961. So 73, 57, 78, or 61. All of those are incorrect. Oh, these are all incorrect. I am giving you the answer because you did not specify. 
the first cordless drill was actually the original hand drill that was made. Oh, the Yankee. Okay, cordless electric drill. Okay. Okay. A, a power, right. Okay, that's different. So give me the <laughs> options again. Wait, wait, wait. But Ross, do you know when that one was made? Yeah, it was like literally like 1830-something. It was like the original hand crank drill, but there were right. no wires because it was not powered. It was human this powered. Is, okay. All uh, right. When did they invent the first cordless electric? Gotcha. All right. Okay. Uh, 1973, 1957, 1978, or 1961? I'm going to go 73. I also am going to say 73. Incorrect. It was 1961. Now, oh. what is the bonus – for the bonus question, what company, well-known company, invented it? Black & Decker. That is Sorry. correct. That oh, is correct. nailed it. That is correct. I did look up electric drill, and it was a long time ago. It was like mm-hmm. in the 1800s at the electric drill, but the first quarter yeah. was one Black and Dicker. Okay, very good. So on that history and and uh, 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 big tool companies, what year was DeWalt founded? DeWalt was it founded in 1961? A, B, 1946, C, 1924. Or D, 1949. What do you got, Ross? D, 1949. What about you, Colton? 61, 46, 24, 49. Oh, I got it written down. Um, 24. Just because that's, that's the oddball of the other group. That is correct. DeWalt was founded really? in 1924 with their first product, it was in, founded in Pennsylvania, and it was called the Wood Wizard. It did nine different things in one tool. Hmm. So I couldn't find a picture of it anywhere, but that's what it was called. Do you think that, for their 100-year anniversary next year, they're going to bring back the Wood Wizard? In I, hope so. I hope so. I hope so. Is it just a Sean Smith painted yellow? All right. <laughs> All right. So here we go. Here's the, here's the hard one. This is not multiple choice. This is a battle against Ross and a battle against Colton. Do you have a pen and paper? <laughs> I do. I got it. Okay. This is a simple question, and this is specifically for woodworkers in the United States. Are you ready? Yes. What is the sum of three and seven eighths plus four and five sixteenths? Do you want improper or proper fractions? Proper. Eight and one sixteenth? Incorrect. Uh oh, I lost Ross. I lost I lost Colton. No. no oh you're um, oh you're here. Okay, you're still here. Uh it's nine and one sixteenth. Mm-mm. Three and seven eighths plus four and five sixteenths. Yeah, so fourteen so you'd have no, sorry, you'd have nineteen sixteenths. So it'd be eight and three sixteenths. That is correct. That's yep. correct. You're right. off by an eighth, Colton. Very yeah, good. Right. <clears throat> All right. Yeah. So for this question is for those of us that are not in the United States. Okay. That know that their system is superior. Oh, yeah. and this is this is multiple choice. Okay. <laughs> what is 0.75 inches or three quarters of an inch in millimeters? The closest one. Is Point- it? 20 oh, millimeters? A, is it B, 19 millimeters? 
Is it C, 18 millimeters, or is it D, 22 millimeters? Are we rounding to the closest? To the closest. Okay. Then the answer is 20 millimeters. What do you say, Colton? No, I'm going to let Ross take this one. I don't know it. (laughs) The answer is 19. It's it's 19 in like... 06. It's 19.06, I think. 19.09 in my conversion calculator thing. Okay, so, so then it, technically it'd be 19.1. But like on so a festool, you so, call yeah. it 20. Correct. Like on a festool, you'd call it 20. You yeah. round up a little bit, but it's closer to 19 technically. Okay. All right, very good. Mm. Uh, last question. Who and when was the first electric circular saw invented? Was it A, 1922 by Samuel Miller? Was it B... 1936 by Thomas Kraft. Was it C, 1923 by Edmund Mitchell? Or was it D, 1942 by Michael Edwins? Go ahead, Colton. Well, the first one was called a skill saw, right? And it's kind of like the Kleenex thing where everyone refers to the Kleenex. Uh, skill saw is just a like kind of calling something a weed, weed eater, you know, because that's just a brand yeah. name. Like, uh, we're talking about the first. I, I was hoping you had someone with the last name like Skill something. I will tell you this. I'm gonna go A. I just random guess I will, though. I will but. tell you this: the first circular saw blade was put on a radial arm saw before this. But wow. <clears throat> uh, yeah, 1922. I'm, I, I'm thinking 1936. Go ahead. I'm gonna go with 1936 by Mr. Kraft. What about you, Colton? Uh, a. The answer is 1923, Edmund Mitchell. Really? Is credited for mm. inventing the first handheld circular electric saw. Yeah. Does he still have all of his appendages? I do not know. <laughs> I do not know. But those are the questions for the week. I hope you enjoyed them, everyone. That was fun. Absolutely. Was Colton, you ready to get a little down and dirty? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Showtime! Woo! 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 whiskey of the week so last week we tasked you with finding the pendleton canadian whiskey which is the official whiskey of the north american rodeo circuit so colton were you able to procure it and did it dandy oh yeah eh? oh yeah (laughs) oh yeah that did real nicely eh? it's canadian whiskey eh? yeah (laughs) which uh i have to say sorry because uh i actually didn't get the regular pendleton i got one with the rye Oh, you want the fancy kind? Yeah. Well, the, the 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 liquor store near me only had the the straight Pendleton in in the gallon, and the um, you didn't think the, that was worthy enough to buy a whole gallon of? <laughs> well, I looked over. It was and I saw the rye. like seventeen dollars. So. <laughs> it was plastic bottle. Uh, no, no, it it's it's glass bottle down here. No, it was yeah, a, it's glass. About, a, about the same price for a uh, the Pendleton rye. Okay. Yeah. And um well I guess the the rye and a fifth was about 45 bucks. Okay. And I <laughs> you know we we done a lot of rye so I, I went on a limb here and okay. I I've had the Pendleton, never had it in the rye. And uh you know I thought it'd be good. And um but yeah, so all right, I'm going to go back in Canadian accent to stop okay. when I've gone too far, <laughs> eh? Okay. So Too far. Uh, so drinking it, <laughs> so drinking it's it's a, it's about it's about too far. It's about it's about, it's about, it's about so drinking too it far. Straight, 
tasted like a moose stepped in some bear sheep shite. <laughs> <laughs> and um wasn't wasn't a big fan of straight, but I actually <clears throat> okay, I'm quitting the accent. I can't okay. do it. Sorry. Thank you. I'll leave the I'll leave the accents to you, Ross, man. I can't yes. do it. <laughs> but uh so I mixed it and I did, I made like a Canadian old fashioned with it. Right. And so okay. uh, instead of like a simple syrup or a sugar cube maple, or whatever, maple syrup. Syrup. a little maple syrup, <laughs> uh, it's Jess's favorite. Right. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. I did some maple syrup <laughs> and on already. top of that, it was some of Crystal's like uh fancy pantsy, like organic, whatever, straight mm. from the tree syrup. And, Nail polish um, remover. Right. Oh yeah. It was thick. It was thick. Oh, Thicker than snot. And um, it was good though. It turned out really well. And like, um, you know, I did like two parts whiskey to like, I guess if it's two, so let's call it four parts whiskey, one part maple syrup. Okay. And then, um, then I did the Angostura bitters and then the orange bitters. And then, um, yeah, it, it turned out really well. It was a really nice, uh, little, little, little cocktail. And, um, so yeah, it's good, man. Like, like in the cocktail form, I give it like a nine two five, man. Like and what about and on its own? Like a five on on its own four and a half, like okay. not That's fair. not. I don't know. It just it's it's one of those like doing it straight, like one of those where you gotta like breathe out your nose real heavy, like oh yeah, you know yeah, like like well, that's weird, and it wasn't a big fan of it straight, but yeah, um, in the cocktail it it did all right, so, all right. So uh, for this week. Going to try something a little different. Going to bring you back to Estados Unidos. And mm. we're going to go uh, to the whiskey-making heartland of Utah. And you're going right. to venture into some High West bourbon. Now, oh, I, I, I that rings a bell. It, it's got like a white label. White label with black writing on it, right? Yes, it does. It's a real yes. tall, slim bottle. Yes, it is. Okay. I and remember the bottle. I don't remember what it tasted like. So, so High West originally was started out as... Uh, product that was blended together. They were making some at their distillery in Utah, but the majority of it was product they were buying from MGP Distillery in Lawrenceburg, Indiana. And they were blending it all together and also making their own blends. And they got known as blenders more than anything else. But they have a mark that is typically like an annual release or biannual release that is like one of the most sought after whiskeys out on the market. It's called the Midsummer Night's Dram. And it's supposed to taste like you're sitting around a campfire. So it's got a smoky tone and it's going to warm me up from the inside. But it's one of those that people are always searching for. Now, those are normally $250 a bottle. I'm not going to make you buy one of those. <laughs> but a standard bottle of High West bourbon and or rye, I will let you make the pick. I would suggest the uh, the the bourbon myself. but Really? Know, over the rye? I mean, I... Okay. Okay. I, no, no, I'll try it. No, no, I prefer a rye, but as you said, we've done quite a few ryes, so I want you to see what you can get out of the the bourbon. Yeah. Oh, man, I I look forward to it. Excellent. Excellent. So, that is the Whiskey of the Week. Now, gentlemen, do we have any nuggets we would like to share with the wonderful folks at home? I got a nugget. All right, kick it off. uh, So, whenever I was buying this miter saw, my DeWalt miter saw, off Facebook marketplace. Um, it was from a business and they were also, they were cleaning out some of their warehouse and they also were selling a filing cabinet. And like, so it's a kind of a vertically, a two stage filing cabinet on the right. You have your normal file drawers 
you know, on the left is like a big locker style. Mm-hmm. But um, my nugget is for the filing cabinet side is because that's been really convenient for like uh, there's three main drawers. And on the top one, you know, I'll keep like a lot of my sand sandpapers that I don't yep. commonly use. Yep. Like my, the ones I commonly use, I have on like their own little French cleat thing. And um, and then the middle one's kind of like a miscellaneous thing. But then the bottom one, I keep all of my manuals like in the back of it, like um, in one, like the, the, the file holder things that have like the metal holders that like will slide on the things on the side. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Yep. And um, I'll keep all my manuals in that. Nice. And um, it's made it easy to keep all my manuals and like kind of miscellaneous stuff that can fit in a drawer, but you don't want to take up shelf space with. So, yep. I like it. Jess, do you have a nugget? Uh, yeah. So, I came across a brand of uh, wood filler for like, you know, basically I'm trying to find the name of the thing. Here, go, you go, go to you, Ross, real quick. Okay. Uh, we, so like, my yeah. nugget is not too far off of what Colton said. Uh, last uh, two episodes ago, we were talking about building out a shop with the knowledge that we have now. And one of the things that I forgot to share that actually helped me out quite a bit was going on to local uh, tool auctions or uh, just machine auctions. Basically, there are auction companies that follow, you know, they they come into an area and they kind of hit up. If you start searching for like used woodworking tool uh, auctions, all of a sudden stuff will start popping up in your feed. And there are companies who come in and they liquidate a company that had gone into bankruptcy or that has shut down and they're just liquidating everything they have to close out the business. And you can get stuff for pennies on the dollar. I was able to get about 40 different clamps as well as uh, what is now my outfeed table for my table saw, but it's actually a, a massive um, eight foot long table that I use. It, you can use it for assembly as an assembly table, an outfeed table, there's storage underneath. I got it for $15. Wow. And uh, I got it just because I would look up the auctions in the area, see what's going around. And right now, because the the economy is going the way that it's going, there are unfortunately more companies that are closing down, which sucks as far as the economy goes. And hopefully it's nobody that you know. But the good part about it is if it is uh, an opportunity for you to be able to score some unbelievable deals on new shop equipment or furniture for your shop, don't don't overlook things like tables and as Colton said, file cabinets, little things that can really improve your workflow for a very, very low cost. And they're going to be high quality. So that would be my, my nugget. I've been considering getting one of those um, like stainless steel tables that you see a lot in like, uh, like kitchens, yeah, like industrial kitchens. Yep. Um, I was wondering how that would do for woodworking, which like if you're doing hammering stuff, like even yeah, it's going to flex a lot if you're hammering like, on it. Yeah. Or it could like indent. In yes. The middle, I think uh, I but, actually have the one that I have was actually, I don't want to say an MDF. It's kind of a press wood top, but it's like double, it's like an inch and a half thick. So it would be two layers of plywood put together, but it's been awesome. I beat the hell out of that thing. It is perfectly straight. It has never moved. If glue dries on it, I just scrape it off and we're good to go. So it's been awesome, especially for the fifteen dollars. Wow, that's a 15, good deal. Fifteen. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's yeah. Like crazy. Yeah. I figured you'd say like a hundred bucks. No. That's 15 very, bucks. very 
It cost me more in gas to go pick it up. (laughs) Yeah. Awesome. Yeah, that filing cabinet was like a $20 extra thing. He was like, well, you want this too? I'll give it to you for $20. Yeah. One of those things. Yep. Yep. So my nugget, are you, were you finished? Yeah, I'm good. Okay. So my nugget is this wood filler brand that I found and you can get it on Amazon. And the thing with it is it comes in any color, What's right? Brand? So it, it is called Gork's Good Filla, F-I-L-L-A. Okay. Gork's like G-O-R-K-S. But if you just type in Good Filla, F-I-L-L-A. This stuff has an unlimited shelf life, right? If it dries out in the can, you can add a little water and stir it back up and it doesn't change the color. You can stain it. You can clear coat it. You can do anything. It's non-toxic. Um, and it isn't, it isn't for, it's fine for outside, but you have to coat, coat it with something, right? So it, it can't be standalone. You can buy it in a little tub. You can buy a big stinking giant tub. You can buy it in powder form and mix it and fill hardwood floors with it. It dries really fast, and you can get it in any color wood you can think of. And we got some for the white oak. You can't see it. Like, you can't see it. It matches so nice. And we stained some stuff where there was, like, some little shrink cracks or whatever. And we had put it in there, and it sanded off really nice. And we stained it, and you can't tell. It's there. Um, It's not the cheapest, but it's not the most expensive. So good filler is to me the best for filling hardwoods that I have found. Have you ever um, used Timbermate? Timbermate. That sounds familiar. I don't so you know. Can, it's, it's an Australian brand, but you can get it. It's very, very similar to what you just described for wood filler. You can add a little bit of water into it if it dries out and it totally comes back to life. You can do everything oh. with it and it expands and contracts with the movement of the wood. And it's oh. like 10 bucks via Woodcraft. You can get it I on Amazon. It. They have it at most JC Licht stores. So if you have a paint store near you, they mm. have some. Uh, that's a brand I use, but it's similar in style. So I would I would echo your sentiments. Finding a really good wood filler can yeah. help you out so much. Just, just like a little, mm. you know, like a nail hole or, you know, like a little knot that, because I noticed that like when we would do like the super glue trick on something that was really small, mm-hmm. um, you could kind of see it. Yeah. a little more than you could this and then like it if i didn't have time to use epoxy so i mean it's really and it didn't shrink either it didn't shrink or crack even on some of the larger things so nice yeah i'll have to try that timber may you use that in one of your videos did you yeah yeah, yeah i yeah, use yeah. it in quite a few of them so yeah very good okay that's good to know was anything else we want to cover boys that wraps okay. it up for me buddy all right Well, we would be remiss if we didn't ask. So if you're not currently subscribed to our podcast, go ahead and smash down that subscribe button on whatever interface you're listening to your podcast. Number two, if you felt the need to share our podcast via social media, that would help us out a ton. And finally, if you have any thoughts, questions, or concerns, feel free to shoot us a message at our Instagram handle, Beat Around the Bench Podcast at Instagram. So uh yeah we would love to help spread the word on the podcast so if you're not currently subscribed and you enjoyed what you heard please make sure to subscribe so we hope you enjoyed every second of this episode if you didn't please feel free to reach out to our italian family legal representation at don corleone family law where their their motto is no body no crime for jess colton and ross thank you for tuning in and we will catch you all next time see ya Woo!